Masechet Nedarim Daf Chaf. With this Daf, we conclude the second Perek. And we're going to start with the Mishnah that will continue the theme of ambiguous Nedarim. And this will lead into some agada and a very important discussion about the proper behavior and thoughts uh, between a man and a wife when they are intimate with each other. So the Mishnah begins. Nadar becherem ve'amar lo nadarti ela bechermo shel yam. A person makes a neder using the language of cherem that uh, this item is forbidden, like a cherem, like something that is dedicated to the Beit Hamikdash. And then afterwards, he clarifies what he meant, uh, and he says, "No, I didn't mean something that is cherem to the Beit Hamikdash, but cherem can also mean a net that you used to catch fish." It's uh, not as common to make a neder and comparing this bread to something that catches fish, um, but it's possible. That is a meaning in the dictionary of the word cherem. And so if a person says, that's what I meant, then we trust him, and uh, therefore the bread would be permitted because fish nets are permitted. So this is a good explication of what the previous Mishnah said, uh, that a stam neder is machmir. But if a person explains what he meant and explains it in a permitted way, then we trust that that's what he had in mind when he said it. So that's permitted. Another example, Bekorban, He says this uh, bread is going to be a prohibited like a an offering. And then he explains, I didn't mean an offering to the bed to Hashem in the Bet HaMikdash, which, which would be prohibited, but rather I meant an offering that I would give as a gift to a king, which is permitted. And uh, in that case, we say, oh, that's what he meant. That's fine. It's permitted. A person is speaking to a friend and he says, I myself am like a korban, which would mean, if he meant it, that I am prohibited to you. And so I can, you can get no benefit from me, right? I'm separating. You might say that if you're having a fight with someone, right? I'm like a korban to you. But then he explains later, no, what I meant when I said atzmi is not myself, my body, but uh, atzmi can also mean my bone. And this person has a bone in a drawer at home, some an animal bone, any kind of bone. And uh, he puts it there and uh, so that he can make this type of vow. He has a so-called bone to pick with a friend. And so he makes this vow, but he doesn't really mean it. So we can say something that sounds like uh, it's a very strong, powerful statement against his, his, his friend, but he doesn't actually have to follow through with it. Um, because he explains, I, no, I just meant that I'm prohibited to use that bone I have at home in my, in the, you know, in the drawer, um, some chicken bone. I'm not, I, I prohibit myself from using it. That's what I meant. In that case, um, that he is believed. A person may be speaking to his wife and they have some tension and he says, um, uh, deriving benefit from my wife is prohibited to, to me. Deriving benefit from me, rather, is prohibited to my wife like a korban. And so he's uh, prohibiting his wife from deriving any benefit from him. In that case, this would be a serious vow. Uh, they'd probably have to get divorced because uh, if, uh, you know, whatever... Uh, whatever they do, he's going to give some benefit to her. And so if he can't give benefit to her, then he can't fulfill his, uh, his responsibilities in the ketubah. And therefore, that will force them to separate. 
So, but then he explains, No, When I said that my wife is prohibited uh, uh, from benefiting from me, I meant my first wife who I already divorced. That's, I, I said, I, she can't get any benefit from me. So even though when I said it, it was, was not clear to anybody else, but that's what I had in mind. So all these are cases that are permitted. There is no binding value here. It's like if I say, uh, hey, if you do this for me, I'll give you $100. And they say, no, I meant monopoly dollars. Okay, if a person really says that, he, that's, he clarifies his intention, even though it's somewhat far-fetched, but you could see why people might want to be able to make these types of statements and then not have to mean it and not have to have a, a binding vow on them. Okay, now there's going to be a machloket about what we do for people that make these types of vows because this is not a good thing. We don't want people to go around uh, being accustomed to such vows. So, on the one hand says, for all these vows, a person does not have to request that they be undone. They're invalid and so the person is going to go on his day and not have to worry about these vows that's what he meant. That's fine. But if they do come to the Betin or they come to the sage and they, they request that it be undone, then we punish them and we're going to be very stringent upon them. Uh, now, what would be the reason? This seems like a paradox and I'm going to ask about it. I think a simple reading of the Mishnah would be that if they don't come to, the, to, to make a request, then that means they know they had in mind the permitted interpretation and therefore they're, they're good to go. The fact that they're coming, if they do come to the sage to undo it, that means that they actually do think that they said something that is is a binding vow. So if they think that it's a binding vow, then it very well may be a binding vow because who knows what they really had in mind. Um, so we will punish them. We'll discuss what this punishment is um, because uh, why should they get a punishment just for making a vow? Um, and we're going to be stringent upon them. So the Gemara will discuss, you know, why what that means and why we'll why we're going to be stringent. Anyway, that's the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Hachamim are more lenient, and they say if they people do come to undo the vow. Uh, so even though it's not a valid vow technically, so biblically it's not a valid vow. Nevertheless. Uh, we will go through a process of undoing it. But this process of undoing it, we're going to open it, op open, undo the vow from uh, any, from a, another place, meaning from uh, some extenuating circumstance uh, that uh, did you have in mind that this would be so. It sounds like I mean, we're going to be extra lenient. And even if, 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 if it was a, a kind of excuse that in a real binding vow, we might not accept but we'll find any, any way to undo the vow, to go through a process so that the person will take it seriously. And we furthermore emphasize, don't do this again. Um, uh, that We teach them so that they will not make light of taking vows. Uh, it's not proper to, for people to go around using this type, kind of language um, uh, to uh, to support what they said. An honest, sincere person, you should believe them just because they said it. And this is kind of crass to go around using language like curses, like you hear some people do today. Um, it, speaks, uh, it, it speaks low of their values if they do that. And so a person shouldn't, make, shouldn't go around making these nidarim that sound like they're nidarim. And they say, no, no, I didn't realize. I was thinking about the fishnet. I was thinking about the, the, the chicken bone in the draw. And uh, it misleads people. And eventually people will get used to making such vows and then come to make vows that are binding and violate them. That's the Mishnah.
Okay. The Gemara is going to ask about the Bimeir. Hagufa kashya. Amat enishalin lahen. Vadartane imnishalu on shinotan machmirin alehen. This uh, Bimeir seems to be self contradictory. On the one hand, he first says that people do not have to come to dissolve the vow because it's invalid. But then he says, if they do come to dissolve it, we punish them and we're stringent. Well, which one is it? Rav Yudah explains that we're talking about two different circumstances. Um, they don't need to be undone. When is that true? If it's a Torah scholar. If he makes such a vow, Torah scholar knows the difference between a valid and invalid formula and thought. And so he'll be careful to uh, have that in mind when he says uh, the cherem, he, he, he was thinking of the fishnet, and he's not going to come to confuse that later on with something that's not a, with, uh, with regular language. So he'll, he'll keep track what he meant, what he's going to mean, and he's not going to come to make uh, valid vows um, uh, in, in error because of that. So he doesn't have to undo it. He knows what he meant. He knows what he said. But if an ignorant, ignorant person comes and t- says to undo it, we're not going to tell them, oh, this is an invalid vow. You don't even have to undo it because they're not going to know exactly why it was invalid. They're going to come and think the next time they say, the, you know, you are, you are a korban. Uh, yeah, um, you are, uh, you know, you are cherem to, to me, uh, and the, but the person is not going to distinguish between having in mind a fishnet or not, or a korban to a king or not a king, and so then they're going to come to uh, error, and this is not a proper, this is not proper uh, behavior in any case. So that's why we're going to punish them and be machmir if the person is an amaaritz. All right, now let's explain. When we say stringent, it means we're going to be very stringent and we're going to um, really put them through the ringer to undo it. And uh, it's not going to be enough to do to, for regret. In general, in order to dissolve a vow, there's two, two ways to do it. One is the person regrets that they made it in the first place. Is when I made that vow, I was in a state of anger. I wasn't thinking straight. Uh, I regret that I made it. That's charata. Other way is a petach to say, um, when I made the vow, I didn't realize the consequences um, of uh, what that would mean. Uh, made a vow that said I'm not going to eat meat but then I didn't realize that that would mean I'm at a wedding and then I would have nothing to eat or I'm going to go away on a trip and then you know that's going to be the only thing and so I didn't realize the consequences that this would uh, of what this would mean and that's why I want to undo it um, so when we say mahmir we're not only going to rely on regret but we're going to actually have to uh, um, ask the person to find extenuating circumstances that he didn't realize at the time that he made the vow. Okay, Ella on Shin So we understand what Machmirin is, but what kind of punishment? I mean, we understand if you make a valid vow and, and violate the vow, then you get a punishment. If you did it by mistake, you bring a Korban. Um, but if um, if you didn't violate the vow, then what kind of punishment is is required? And the answer is kedetanya mi shenazar veabad al nazidoto and is kakin lo achin hogbo isur kamim shenahag behem heter dibre rebi meir. This brayta is going to show you an example of what such punishment would mean uh, by uh, by analogy of a nazir, someone who becomes a nazir, a, a real proper nazir for thirty says says you know without a time period, let's say for 30 days, and then he violates it. He goes and he's, he's, uh, becomes Tameh, and he's walking around cemeteries for 10 days, and then he comes to the, to the rabbis and say, I want to undo my nezirut. This is, you know, too hard. I didn't mean it. 
Um, so we do not we do not pay attention to him and these kakin law. We're gonna this, these, we're gonna come back to these words in in a few minutes. Um, so the betin should not deal with him until we make him first observe a proper nizirut for the same amount of time that he violated it. And so if he was violating for ten days, we're not gonna undo it for him right away. That's gonna make it too easy for him. And this might do it again. We're gonna say, okay, go back. Um, do uh, observe nizirut in a proper way for ten days, and then come back to us, and then we'll, un- we'll then we'll help you out, and then we'll undo it. That's what Rabbi Yehuda says. Amar Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef is a little bit more lenient and said, when you say the same amount of days, that's only when we're talking about the minimum amount of nizirut, which is thirty days. Um, and so, if it's you know ten days, twenty days, up to thirty days, then we'll make him observe proper nizirut the same number of days that he violated it. But if he took upon himself a long nizirut for one year, for ten years, and then let's say for 10 years, and he violated for a whole year, we're not going to make him observe a proper nizirut for a whole year and only then undo the 10-year uh, the, 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 the um, vow, but rather enough that he observe it for 30 days. Even though he violated nizirut for a year, he, if he observes it for 30 days, then, uh, then he gets the point, he gets the message that this is not a light thing. Don't, uh, don't take upon yourself nizirut again, especially if you're not, not going to be able to... to um, uh, uh, to conclude it, and only then he'll come back, and then we'll find a way to absolve him uh, of the original nizirut. Uh, this would be kind of like if I, if I have a student who comes late every day to class for a week, and so she gets a lot of lates, and she goes, you know, she says, oh, I'm sorry, uh, extenuating, sir, can you undo the, these lates? I'm going to come on time. So I'm not going to just undo it right away. I'm going to tell her, listen, if you come to class every day for the next week on time, then I'll show that you're, that'll show that you really mean it, that you can do it. So come back after next week, coming on time, and then I'll go back and I'll I'll, I'll undo the lates. Okay, so this is the punishment that we want. We would give a person who takes this kind of vow that is technically, biblically, an invalid vow, but we still want to emphasize that a person should not do this again. And so, if we just undo it immediately, they won't get the message. Instead, we'll make them observe that vow for a certain amount of time, and only afterwards we'll say, "Okay, come back," and then we we can help them to undo it. Rav Yosef, on these words, that Betin should not deal with him and help him right away. Uh, so we learn from this that if Betin is too lenient and they come, uh, some, uh, someone is a Nazir and he's not careful with Nazirut and we just undo it right away, uh, or they take upon themselves this type of vow of uh, you're prohibited to me like a Chedem, and then we go and help them right away. So a betin that does that is not acting properly because they're only encouraging bad behavior. They're enabling people who are making these uh, these vows in an improper way. goes further and says we should excommunicate those judges who will undo vows immediately. First, you have to put the put the person through the ringer, make them follow the follow their vow for a certain amount of time, and then when they get the message that they shouldn't do this again, only then should we help them out.
All right, all that is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. And now we're going to explain Chachamim, Omerim, Potachin, Lo Petach. And say, oh, we find a way to uh, undo the vow and uh, we don't give them such a hard time. So, Tana, Le'olam, Artihi Ragil, Bindarim, Shesofechalim, Ol Bishvuot. So, to explain further the, the, say, the pin of Chachamim, because they also say that we should teach them uh, not to do that again, so because people should not take vows lightly. So now we're going to quote Abaraita about not taking taking them lightly. A person should not regularly make vows, because in the end, they're going to not only make vows and violate them, they'll even make shivuot and violate them. And making a shivuah is more stringent, because that's in the Ten Commandments, taking God's name in vain. Lo God will not uh, forgive someone who does that. Um, and so, therefore, this is a very serious matter. Don't uh, don't regularly make vows. Once you mention one one piece of advice about things that one should not do regularly, we add some more. And one should not regularly hang out with uh, uh, ignorant people because in the end, they are going to serve you tevel, uh, a produce that you didn't take ma'asir. Sometimes they're careful, sometimes they're not careful to take teruma and ma'asir. And so even though sometimes they're, they're careful, even if usually they're careful, but you're going to hang out with them, you're going to eat with them, and then eventually, at one time, they're going to serve you some food and actually, it will be prohibited. Similarly, don't hang out and become too friendly with a Kohen who's, who's ignorant because at some point he's going to serve you Teruma. The Kohen himself is allowed to eat Teruma, but he's not, since he's ignorant, he's not going to be so careful to keep the Teruma on the side to eat, to be in only by himself and other Kohanim. You're coming over, he's going to say, hey, come eat with me, and he's going to forget and serve you Teruma, and uh, you're going to end up uh, violating. And similarly, don't regularly have too much conversation with women. Uh, because in the end, that will come to adultery. A uh, person will become too familiar, talk about one thing, talk about another thing, and it could lead to... Could lead to sin. Okay, taking off on the last line of uh, having to, uh, of uh, talking too much with women about idle matters, Rabbi Acha um, adds, anyone who stares at women, in the end, he will come to sin. And even someone who looks at the heel of a woman will have children who are improper um, because he looked at her in an improper way even though it's just a heel but he's looking at her with an improper intention and so he uh, that as punishment uh, children will also be improper Marav Yosef Rav Yosef says this even includes this even includes his wife while she is a Nida a person should not um, look at his wife, uh, it, 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 even though she will be per- permitted at some point, but uh, still is not, not a proper thing to do. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Nakish, Akebah dekatane bimkom atinofet shehu mechuvan keneged he'akeb. The Shakish is explaining that when Rabbi Achab and Rabbi Oshaya, he is a Tana, a Babylonian Tana, actually of the fifth generation. So this is a Baraita. Uh, so he explains that when Rabbi Achab said in this Baraita the word heel, he didn't mean literally a heel that you cannot look at a person's at a woman's heel. Uh, rather, he's talking as using a euphemism for her 
private parts. Why? Because it's situated opposite the heel. Like if a person is uh, kneeling uh, down on their heels, so then uh, her privates will be uh, right next to her heels. So that, that's what he actually meant. When if a person looks at a woman's privates, then he will have children who are, Im, who are improper. Um, but if uh, just uh, glancing at someone's heel, uh, then he's not, he was not talking about such, uh, he was not talking about that. Um, which explains why Ravio, when Rav Yosef says, and including his wife when she's Nida, this would mean that one is um, prohibited from looking at his wife's privates when she is a Nida. That would be improper. But to look at his wife, um, her face and uh, uh, exposed parts, that would be permitted. And in fact, that is how Rambam uh, decides the halacha. One's permitted to look at his wife when she's Nida, um, even though he's prohibited to her because even though even though that will he will get some uh, benefit some uh, pleasure in his in his um, mind from looking at her nevertheless since she is permitted after some time this will not come to sin um, so uh, that that's that's no problem. He'll hold off, and he's not going to do anything until she's permitted. That's why he would be permitted for anita, um, but uh, prohibited to, to derive um, to stare at uh, someone else um, who was who was prohibited to him, who was not his wife. Um, okay, so that explains that this uh, this halacha. And now on the same theme, we go to the next baraita. Tanya, ba'abur yerato al penechem zo busha. So we're talking about a pasuk right after aset adibirot in in Shemot, and it says that all the people uh, at at Har Sinai they saw the the lightning and they heard the thunder and they were afraid and they told Moshe, "You speak to us, and uh, we're afraid that we're going to die if we hear God speaking to us directly." And Moshe said to the people don't don't be don't be afraid and you're not going to die kila babur nasot etchem ba elohim babur tiyegid ato al penechem liberty techetau Hashem wants to test you he wants that your fear uh, the fear of God should be on your faces uh, so this is an expression but the this agada is taking it hyper literally what does it mean for fear to be on one's face um, and therefore not sin. It explains that this is shame. When someone feels shame or embarrassment, their face gets red, and so you can see their shame on their face. And so that is a good thing. So that, and then they will make sure not to, because they don't want to be ashamed, they'll make sure not to sin. Okay, I mean, shame, uh, shaming is not a good thing in general. We don't shame other people, but for a person to themselves uh, feel ashamed if they did something wrong or to blush about thinking about doing something wrong, that's good as a preventative measure. Or as a prompting to Teshuvah. Mikan Amiru. Siman Badam Shehu Baishan. It's a good sign for a person to uh, to be someone who comes to shame if there's something shameful that is happening. A person who will feel embarrassment, he will not come to sin quickly because he'll be too embarrassed to go and sin. Someone who has, feels no shame, then you can be sure that his forefathers did not stand at Mahar Sinai. He's not part of the Jewish people. He was not commanded that he can go and violate sins and not feel ashamed. So uh, if a person, shame is a good, is a good barrier. 
uh, to, um, to violating sins. Ben Dehavai says, The following four things were taught to me by uh, the angels who are, who are servants of Hashem. So this comes from a high authority. How come children are born lame? Uh, the reason is because their parents, when they have relations, they turn over the table. This is a euphemism to mean that they don't have relations facing each other, but rather uh, the woman turns around with the man behind her. So that's improper. So their children are also, also going to walk in, in, in an improper way. How come children are born mute? Uh, because uh, men kiss their, their wives in their private parts. How come children are born deaf? Because the, the parents um, converse with each other while they're having relations. It's more modest to be quiet. And so because they're talking, the children are deaf. How come children are born blind? Because the, the uh, parents look at each other um, and stare at their privates. Uh, so uh, it's no coincidence that he's learning, learning this from angels. Um, he's expecting people to kind of act like angels and uh, be as, as, uh, as, as minimal as possible. Even though they're having relations with their wives, it's not talking about adultery or anything. This is permitted relationship relations, but even in that case, to be um, as um, uh, as as modest as possible. Okay. Uh, further along this line, Urminhu Shaluat Ima Shalom. We're going to have a contradiction regarding the conversing. Mipnema. Uh, uh, how can you track your children are so beautiful? He says, because my husband does not converse with me in the beginning of the night and not the end of the night, but rather in the middle of the night. Converse meaning converse intimately. So they don't have relations in the beginning or end of the night, like when it's going to become night or in the morning, um, but rather in the middle of the night when it's totally dark and uh, totally Totally silent and no one's around, so they're very, very modest. Um, only then do they converse. And when they uh, do have relations, using the word conversing, he will uh, uncover one handbreadth and cover up a handbreadth. Even when they're having relations, they keep as much of their clothes on as possible. And my husband, he's, he's having relations, but it's like coerced as if by a a demon, like he's so uh, so fearful of 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 doing it, and so because we are so modest and uh, at, the, at that time, that's why our children are very beautiful. So this is now a contradiction because although they're super super modest, you see, uh, but it does say that they converse with each other. It sounds like they they are speaking during relations. Now, Vamati law. 
One time, Ima Shalom asked her husband, Matam, how come you do this? How come you, um, uh, you, uh, you act in such an uh, extreme, modest way? Because I want to make sure that my thoughts will be proper, that I will not look at or think about another woman. And if I do that, then um, the children will be mamzerim. Not, it doesn't mean literally that he's going to go and sin with other women, but even thinking about the other woman... Um, um, uh, then it will have a negative effect, kind of like Mamzerim. And so by being very, very modest, he'll keep his, his thoughts away from anything that would be improper. Okay, so now we have a contradiction because in the first uh, first Baraita that we learned from the angels, it said, do not converse at all. And here, Ima Shalom and their husband, who are extremely modest, but they would converse. And the answer is, When it says here that they are conversing, that's regarding relations. That's proper to talk about, say, um, nice uh, uh, nice things, compliments, um, words of love during uh, during relations, but to talk about other things that are not related, then that's not proper. You're going to talk about paying bills and whatever uh, about the weather. Um, then that shows that this act is not an act of intimacy, but you're just treating it as a carnal act. And so uh, that's what we're talking about, that you shouldn't just be conversing. Uh, during relations, except unless it's um, it's it's uh, it's a conversation that will lead to greater intimacy. Rabbi Yochanan says, what we just saw above, that was the words of Rabbi Yochanan ben Dahavai, but the sages said, we do not follow that for halacha. He was uh, an extremely modest person, uh, ascetic, but this is not this is not the halacha. Instead, actually the opposite extreme. Anything a person wants to do with his wife, as long as she's permitted, she's not nida, they're, they're permitted to each other, so they can um, relate to each other in any way they want. Rabbi's not going to be very explicit about different uh, positions and things that are allowed, but rather they're going to use an allegory. If someone buys meat from a butcher, you can eat the meat any way you want. If you want to salt it and eat it that way, that's fine. If you want to roast it on a barbecue, you can. You can cook it. Um, you can boil it. Um, and same thing with fish uh, that you buy from the fishermen. One can prepare it any way they want and eat it however they want. So uh, maybe this sounds like a bit of a crass analogy of treating a person's, uh, the body of a person's wife like a piece of meat. But their point is that um, uh, any in any way, any position, any anything one wants to do with one's wife is permitted. Um, and this is a very important statement of Rabbi Yochanan, saying although there are certainly some cultures and religions that uh, think of sex as something negative, to be you know be better to be a monk and never and never engage, better not to be married at all. This is not what the rabbis say. Uh, it's a mitzvah to be married, and although there are even some rabbis 
I say, okay, even with one's wife, be very minimal and super modest and all that. Um, uh, but uh, the majority, Ibn Yochanan saying the majority opinion is, no, once it's permitted, then any, any act that is, uh, that is, um, uh, is an act of intimacy that uh, is not coerced, obviously, um, is, is something that can bring a husband and wife closer together. And even though, yeah, it's materialistic and enjoyable, but we take things that are, um, uh, that are material and we kiddushify them like we do with uh, wine for kiddush or have a nice meal for, for Onik Shabbat. Uh, so too, anything that, is, uh, that one does with one's wife would, is permitted as an act to, uh, to bring them closer together. Amar Amemar, Man Hasharet Rabanan. Amemar says that when Biochan ben Dehavai said, I learned this from the angels, he didn't mean literally angels, he meant he learned this from other sages. Because if he meant literally that he learned it from angels, then how could Biochanan say that we don't follow his halacha? If the angel said it, then presumably we should we should follow whatever they said. Because after all, the angels they know about the formation of uh, of a baby of a fetus, um, and so they'll know that oh this this uh, defect happened because they did this or that. So we should trust them if it's really from angels. Okay. So how come we called those rabbis that he learned it from angels? Oh, because they stand out like ministering angels. Perhaps they dress in a different way. They wear white and so they look like angels. It could be here that there was there were groups of, uh, of Jews, of sages, that would actually act like angels and just like angels have no material body. So they, they would... Um, they would be ascetics and you know fast and and have relations in a min- very very minimal way and act like angels and uh, we know that there were definitely groups of people that did that um, maybe that's why he means what he means that he says he learns it from angels but the majority of chachamim and the conclusion of the gemara and this by the way is halacha that a person is permitted to his wife. Uh, in any position, in any way that they uh, both uh, agree and want to um, uh, and want to have relations with each other. And so now a couple of stories in the, about this subject. Um, a woman came to Rabbi, Danasi, and said, Rabbi, I prepared a meal for my husband and he overturned it. Um, so the analogy is like I prepared a meal and he, he, he turned the table over. But this analogy too, I was uh, ready there to have relations with him and he turned me over and uh, had relations from the back. And so she's complaining, this is improper. How could he do this? And the B says, the Torah says it's permitted. So what should I tell you, right? As, as long as as uh, as you're both willing, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Or a similar story, a woman comes to Rav and says, I, I set a table for my husband and he overturned it. And, uh, you know, what, what, what do I do about that? And Rav said, how's it different from fish? If you want to eat a fish, you want to eat it this way, that way. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. You can prepare your fish and eat it any way, any way you want. So, so too, this is, uh, these, uh, any of these, um, uh, any of these manners of, of, uh, of relations are permitted. So, 
um, go back to your husband. Okay, velot taturu achare lebabchem. When the when the Torah says in Parashat Sisit that one should not stray after their hearts, mikan amar bi person should not drink from one cup and put his eyes on another cup. Meaning, one should not have relations with one woman, his wife, and think about another woman. Um, says, says not only a person should not have relations with one woman and have and have and be thinking about another woman who's not related who's not who's not um, married to certainly that would be prohibited but even if a person is married to two women and he's permitted to both women even so uh, he should not have he should not have relations with one and be thinking about the other that is also not permitted. I'm going to purge from you the rebels and those that transgress against me. Who is that? Uh, so this is referring to these uh, people who are transgressing. Transgressing refers uh, the, these children refer to uh, people who have nine traits. In other words, nine defects that come from uh, people that act in a wrong way, and because they act in this way, the children suffer the consequences. And so this is an a um, uh, an acronym to a mnemonic to remember. The Aleph stands for Bene Ema. Um, children of fear. In other words, if a husband is is um, forcing his wife to have relations with him and she's doing it only out of fear, well, this is not a very good relationship. And as you can imagine, the children will certainly be affected negatively by that. Bene Anusa, or a woman who is raped. Bene Sinua, um, uh, children of a hated woman that the parents are fighting. And nevertheless, they have relations. Then the children are certainly going to feel the effects of that. Benenidui, if uh, some one of the parents are uh, ostracized or in ex- excommunicated. Benetimura that the man is substituting. He's thinking of one woman while he's having a different woman while he's having relations with his wife. Benemiriba, or he has they have relations while they are fighting with each other. Benet Shichirut, or they have parents have relations while they're drunk. Uh, or if a person decided he's going to divorce his wife, but he didn't do it yet, and he has relations with his wife, so then the act is not an act of intimacy. So this that, that's improper. If he's mixing up um, and he thinks he's having relations with one woman, but he actually doesn't know, and uh, it's not the woman that he's thinking of. Hasufa, a shameless woman, uh, where she demands of her husband to have relations. So all these are nine improper ways to have relations, and uh, where the children will suffer the effects of it. Now we ask, We have a contradiction regarding the last one. If the woman is demanding, uh, we see a, another statement in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that any man whose wife uh, and, and engages him and uh, requests relations, they will have children that are so great that they're greater than anyone in the generation of Moshe. How do we see that? In the beginning of Midbar, uh, Hashem says, go and find uh, people to help you out because you can't lead the people alone. People who are Chachamim and Nevonim. 
that um, are wise and understanding. But then, two Pesukim later, But when he goes to find them, he, 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 can't, he can't, doesn't say the word Nevonim. In other words, he looks around, he can't find people that have such understanding. So you see that in the generation of Moshe, they didn't have people of this high level of understanding. Yet, Uchtiv, Yisachar Hamorgarim. Uchtiv, Bnei Yisachar, Yodebina La'itim. But regarding Yisachar, it says that he's like a large, large bone donkey. Um, and it says further about Yisachar, it's not just physically, but rather in David Amim, it says that the people from the family of Yisachar had Bina La'itim. They knew the understanding of the calendar. So they did have a, this level of Bina that the people in the generation of Moshe didn't have. Now why? What's special about Yisachar? Yisachar was born, his mother was Le'ah, and he was born right after the incident where Le'ah traded uh, the Dudaim that Uven found uh, to and gave him to Rachel uh, for a right to, um, to sleep with Yaakov uh, that night. And because of that, uh, because of that, Yisachar was born. Now it does say there that when Yaakov came home, so he was expecting to be with Rachel. It was uh, it was her turn. But because Leah um, acquired the right to be with Yaakov for that night, says she goes out to greet him, and she said, "Come and be with me." So you see that because Leah was more forward and she in, uh, invited Yaakov to come have relations with her Yisachar that was born from that uh, th- that uh, union um, had this extra bina a bina that was higher a level than any than anyone of the, these elders that they could not find in the time of Moshe Rabenu. So here we have a contradiction. On the one hand, uh, here it says Bene uh, Hatsufa, woman's Hatsufa, shameless woman. Then this is not good, and the children will be negatively affected. But here it says it is a good thing with the Sachar, and the answer is Ahi Dim Raseya Arsuye. No, there the Baraita that's talking about that it's a positive thing with Leah is talking about where her she entices her husband in a more subtle way. So the one up here uh, is talking about a case where she is explicit. That's not that's not proper for a woman to be very explicit and very shameless and um, kind of crass. Uh, is improper way. She should be more modest. Uh, but nevertheless, it is uh, fine and even good if uh, she will entice her husband in a more subtle way. Hadran alach ve'elu mutarin. Chazakim u'beruchim.